The reading comes from John chapter 13, verse 36, and chapter 14. Reading from the NIV. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also live. On that day, you will realise that I am in, the, in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has kept my command, Whoever has kept my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them. And make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. 
But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Thanks, Tim. So, that's all clear, isn't it? Crystal clear? <coughs> yes, I and me, you and me, he and this, us, you and me. Yeah, it all makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, let's go back a little bit. As a matter of fact, when I was listening to Mike last Sunday, something came to mind. And I don't know that there's anybody here this... Oh, yes, there's a couple here this morning who may remember when this first hit the big screen. But we're going to see a little video clip that was released in 1938. It's an amazing story. Popeye moved heaven and earth, didn't he? To save his wayward sweet pea. And what did Sweet Pea do towards his salvation? He ran away. That was the only thing he did until his saviour came. And then what did he do next? He hung on. And so it is with us. As Mike shared with us last week, salvation is by grace, grace and grace. It's grace from beginning to end. As Paul says in Ephesians, for you are saved by grace through faith. And even this is not of yourselves, it's God's gift. So, how does salvation happen? How does our saviour jump off the cliff and come and grab us before we go over the waterfall? Well, we read in Matthew chapter 17, after... Sorry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, that after Jesus had been tempted in the wilderness, the very first words were, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. So we've got to repent. And who was Jesus talking to? He was talking to Jewish people. And what did they believe? They believed that obedience to rules and regulations their social status and their family heritage were sufficient to make them right before God. And uh, unfortunately, we too can fall into those categories, can't we? We can say, well, I'm a pretty good, upstanding sort of person. I don't need to repent. Or, gee, well, I'm sort of middle class. That's, that's pretty good. I'm pretty safe here. 
Or we might even say, well, my parents took me to Sunday school and they've taken me to church and uh, I know how it all works, so I'll be God's grandchild. Well, unfortunately, God has no grandchildren. God only has children. So while our parents may have repented, we have to repent. It's up to us. And what did Jesus do after the call for repentance? He goes on to say that he was walking around the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. What did he say? Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, two more brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in their boat with their father, preparing their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. So Jesus calls us to repent. He didn't call us to repent and then let's go and join a little holy huddle somewhere. He didn't call us to repent and, uh, and just be nice people from then on. He called us to repent and follow him. And these disciples followed him. They gave up everything. They gave up fishing. They gave up their income. They gave up everything and they followed him. For three years, they walked with him, talked with him, listened to him preach and teach. They shared meals with him. Jesus became part of their lives. Not an add-on, not something they just sort of dropped around on the Sabbath to listen to him speak. He was part of their lives, day in, day out, morning, noon and night. And they were with him when he healed the sick, cast out demons and raised the dead. And as we've just celebrated, they shared his last meal with him. So you can understand their consternation and confusion when he told them that he was going away and they would not be able to follow him. Wow, we've given our lives to you and now you're telling us you're going away and we can't follow you. Jesus understands the confusion and their sense of impending loss. So he goes on, and explains to them that they will experience an even greater fellowship with him through the gift of the Holy Spirit. As Tim read, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Well, of course, the disciples, being such clever men, they grasped that straight away, didn't they? No, not one bit. They just couldn't get their, couldn't get their heads around that. 
And Jesus understood that it was just a little bit different and a whole new concept. So he spends the next two chapters of John explaining just what the presence and work of the Holy Spirit is like. These three chapters, John 14, 15 and 16, are a block of teaching by Jesus from the Last Supper to when he's arrested. He spends that time teaching them about the Holy Spirit. Because he says, Abide in me and I am you. And the, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So is this the image that comes to mind when you read that verse? Nice thick trunk spreading out and then lots of little shoots, little branches stuck on it. Well, unfortunately, Satan has worked very hard through this modern viticulture to erase the image of what Jesus was actually describing. This slide here shows us, taken in the late 1800s, what vineyards were like in Palestine. It bears little resemblance, apart from the fact there's almost rose, if you look really closely, but not quite. Because um, there was a fellow journeyed through this land and wrote a book in 1838. He said, the vines are sometimes planted on the sides of terraced hills, with the branches permitted to trail along the ground while the fruit-bearing shoots are propped up with sticks. And another fellow a little later says, another ancient mode of planting vineyards was by just training them over heaps of stones. So not that first picture. Maybe this next picture. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is really what he's describing because the vine is just made up of branches and the branches make the vine. Now remember, the purpose of this illustration is to explain the relationship and work of the Holy Spirit in us. This is what Jesus is trying to make clear to his disciples and through them to us. So he is our life and our strength. As we abide, that is, live in him, he abides, that is, lives in us. It is Christ who nourishes us. It is Christ who produces fruit in us. It is a difficult concept, but it's one that Jesus thought was vitally important. And if we don't grasp it, then we miss the comforting presence and power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to all who believe in him. So how does this work? God is a spirit, right? How can a spirit live in us? Well, yes, God is a spirit, but let me explain. Once again, in our Western civilization, 
Satan has reduced us to thinking that we are just body and mind. But the Bible's very clear that we're made up of body, soul and spirit. We are a spirit with a soul and we live in a body. So let's have a closer look at how this works. So our body is where we interact with the physical world through sight, smell, hearing, speech, taste and touch. Our soul... Oh, I've missed a piece, haven't I? So there's a verse up there that you can see. So 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells us that we are body, soul and spirit. So moving on. The body and we are soul. Our soul is who we are. Our personality, our affections, our conscience, our reason, our will, our memories and our imagination. Our soul we will take with us into eternity. And we are spirit. And this is where the Holy Spirit dwells and where we interact with God through faith, praise, prayer and worship. John said in, Jesus said in John 14, In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and disclose myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. He is describing how the Father and the Son in the person of the Holy Spirit take up residence with our spirit. Jesus knew that this was a vitally important concept, which is why it was that space of time between the Last Supper and the crucifixion that he tried to explain it to his disciples. So what does the Holy Spirit do? So as I go through these, there will be verses will pop up on the screen behind me, which I won't read out. They're just for you to take in. The work of the Holy Spirit is to translate the work of the cross into a daily experience in our lives. He is the law of the spirit of life, which sets me free from the law of sin and death. He is the spirit of grace, who actually makes the grace of God take effect in my life. So the gospel is really of two parts. There's the salvation and there's the sanctification. And this is where God's spirit takes effect. We receive the work of the cross by faith as a once for all fact. The ongoing translation of this fact into experience is the daily work of the Holy Spirit. And it is the spirit of Christ. When you believed on Christ, God sent his spirit into your life. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ lives in us. And we have fellowship with the spirit. 
The Holy Spirit never leaves us. Even when we sin, he is still there. Bible says we can grieve him by what we do, but he is still there. The conscious presence of God's spirit in our lives changes our outlook on sin and our attitude towards people and life in general. The Christian life is not just about what God's spirit can do for you. It's about having close fellowship with him. And this is a daily experience of spending time with God's spirit. It's a personal relationship of speaking with him, listening to him. It's mutual fellowship. It's not us giving instruction. It's having fellowship with him. And this relationship is the foundation upon which God builds our Christian life. And we have the witness of the Spirit. When Jesus went back to heaven, he did not leave us stranded as orphans. He sent his Holy Spirit to do the parenting work with us, to bring us to maturity. The Spirit lives on inside, working every day to cause the salvation we have received to be worked out in every area of our lives. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that the gospel works. He acts as a witness that we have been born into God's family. In Roman times, when a slave was adopted as a son, witnesses were chosen to testify to that adoption. If anyone later questioned the adoption, the witness would verify that it was an accomplished fact. In the same way, the Holy Spirit now acts as a witness that we have been adopted into the family of God, that we truly are the children of God. And it's a new way, the new way of the Spirit. When Christ died on the cross, he released us from the old way of self-effort. We now live the Christian life in the new way of the Spirit. But like the Galatians that we learned earlier this year, many Christians still revert to the old way of the written code. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace. Grace is the total empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This grace is the key to the whole gospel. Just as grace, which we learned last week, was the undeserved favour of God, sums up the first half of the gospel, so grace, the enabling power of God, sums up the second half. It is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, who makes the gospel an inner reality, not just an outer knowledge. The Spirit of God is the power the inner power that does what the outer law could never do. The Holy Spirit is the gospel on the inside. And it's power in weakness. And don't we need a revelation of the power that has been invested in us? Jesus said, when I go to the Father, you will do the things that I do. In fact, you will do greater things than I have done because I go to the Father. Why? Because his spirit will be in us. 
So we need a revelation of what that power means. What sin can stand against the power of the resurrection? What demon could resist the power of the risen Christ? The fact that we are weak makes no difference to his power. Our weakness only serves to enhance it. And we are told to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit allows, means allowing the Holy Spirit to tell us how to think and how to act. Our focus is on spirit, not on our flesh. And this is God's plan for our life. This means that we don't try to walk in the Spirit by overcoming the flesh. That, once again, is just self-effort. Instead, it's the other way round. We overcome the desires of the flesh by walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit is designed to be the normal Christian way of life. And just like natural walking, walking in the, in the spirit develops its own momentum. The more you walk in the spirit, the more you will walk in the spirit. The momentum of this walks carries you through temptation. We're not told just to resist Satan. We are told firstly to submit to God. Submitting to God is not something we do at the moment of temptation. It's a way of life. We submit to God every day as we walk in his spirit. And of course a Christian learning to walk in the spirit is like a baby taking its first steps. They tend to fall down a lot. They get bruised. I've got uh, a one-year-old and an 18-month-old in my family and, yeah, learning to walk is full of ups and downs. Even if we fall, God encourages you to get up and begin walking with his spirit once again. Your walk in the spirit will become stronger as you grow in Christ. And that involves walking in his presence. Amos says for two people to walk together, they need to be in agreement. As we walk with God each day, we learn his heart and the plans we have, he has for our lives for that day and the future. As we read in Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So what is the normal Christian life? It's the law of the spirit of life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working on the inside. How do we do it? We walk in the Spirit by spending time with the Lord each day, including him in all our daily activities, keeping our focus on him, not on ourselves. Whatever it is that we're doing, whether we're sweeping the floor, whether we're cooking dinner, whether we're working in a, a hot roof, whether we're ploughing a paddock, whatever it is that we're doing. We do it 
in the love of Jesus, practicing the presence of God in our lives each day. It means keeping our focus on him, not on ourselves. Walking in the spirit means understanding the work of the cross and allowing God's grace to work in our lives. It means being led by the spirit of God. And it means receiving the living word. As we read at the beginning of John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We are not just to hear God's word. We are told to do what God's word says. As we receive the word of God and put it into action each and every day, we will walk in the spirit and grow daily in the likeness of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And we are going from glory to glory. For a mirror to reflect someone's image, there are only two conditions. First, it must be a clean mirror. Second, it must be close to the person that it is reflecting. In the same way, as we are cleansed further each day by the obedience to God's word, and as we come closer to the presence of God, we reflect the glory of God himself. because he is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So Colossians 1, 26 to 28, the mystery that has been hidden from past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man what? Complete in Christ. So it's Christ that in you, living daily through the power of his spirit, that is what will present us complete on the day of his coming. Let us pray. Father, this is a difficult understanding that you live in us, that you, spirit, live in us, mortal. But we are spirit, Lord, because you breathed life into us. You breathed your spirit into us. So, Lord, be part of our lives, we pray, this week for the rest of our lives as we grow and walk with your spirit, we pray. Amen.